All right, I'm here with Coach Kevin McDonough from Cornell University, a.k.a. KMAC. Coach, how you doing? Good, Coach. How you doing? Appreciate you having me. Listen, man, I'm glad you're coming on. I know uh, Coach Fortunato, you were a person that he requested a few times for me to get you on this podcast. We both agree that when we talk about what is the definition of success coming from high school football, to, to me and him, you're the guy. I told you that at a Wagner football clinic last year. I'll say it again to you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Coach. Uh, don't really know how, what to say to that one, but appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, we're talking about that you coach at Cornell, Division One school, an Ivy League school, but I, I really want to backtrack first. People need to hear your backstory. So I want to talk first about your high school football career. What did it look like? Were you a guy who got a significant playing time? Were you an all-city football player? What was your career like? Uh, the exact opposite of everything you just said <laughs> there. Um, I didn't play freshman year. I'd never played football up until my sophomore year of high school. A um, couple guys in homeroom, I'd played like soccer, baseball, any sport, but football you could think of growing up. Uh, was always outside playing something. Um, but never played football aside from some like two man touch games and somebody, some guys in homeroom that was friendly, friendly with, they told me, uh, why don't you go talk to coach Manos, talk about playing, you know, just have some fun and stuff like that. Ended up going in there. Um, coach was able to let me start lifting with the team in the winter. I played, I think two or three games JV year. One game I started was Chaminade because, someone was missed a practice or something. I was essentially a stick. Um, so, I mean, did all right, you know, wrong arm to kick out some, some stuff like that. Ended up getting pulled after two series. Um, didn't, I think I played one game as a junior uh, and then got a bunch of reps senior year, uh, kind of mixture of garbage time and, and a little bit of regular time towards the end of the year, just cause we were pretty good. Um, you know, just had a lead. We were able to get a lot of people in, and, and Coach Clark, Coach Forge, Coach Manos, and everybody on the staff was able to get me some reps and play a little bit. But uh, didn't know a lot about football. Didn't shoot. I remember Coach Sal talking to me my first practice about. Uh, I was still trying to. I think I was a DB at the point, and he said, "Well, there's two types of plays here, Mac. What 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 are they like?" Ten minutes. I had no clue. It was a runner pass. So. You know, kind of started at ground zero and, and fell in love with the game and the camaraderie and the relationships there at St. Joe's. Now, what, how would you define your role on that team? Were you like a strictly a scout team guy? Like, how did you perceive yourself when you were, say, a junior or a senior in high school? Uh, I never really kind of thought about it that way. I didn't – I mean, I was strictly a scout team guy, I guess. I, like I said, I played a little bit of garbage time or like early season scrimmages, stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I was just kind of going out playing football every day for practice and stuff and having fun. Uh, wasn't really thinking about special teams, limited stuff towards the end. I think I was on KOR and punt. And, uh, you know, this is a tough offense to go against as a scout team guy. It's the double wing. You're just taking a pounding every second of every day. What, what the hell made you stick this out? Why didn't you quit? And that just... I remember the last time I think I remember wanted to quit at St. Joe's. I had a lot of fun. 
JV, you know, got had a blast with the guys in the group. I, I loved my class. We had a great, great group of guys. The coaches were awesome. Um, I remember going up to varsity and we were doing spring workouts where we weren't doing workouts, but we just happened to work some like arm over stuff. And I forget who I was paired up with, but me being a spaz, I go to do a punch in an arm over and I accidentally punch the kid in the face and give a bloody nose. And I think, I forget what coach Clark said to me. He, he like got after me a little bit, but then gave me like a tap on the head. and said like, I'm only tearing into you because I know you won't quit. And I was like, all right, well I can't quit now. <laughs> So that that's just it just wasn't an option. I don't know. That was kind of just how I was raised. That's awesome. And I'm just thinking about the modern athlete. Kids will quit for any reason. You know, I got the prom coming up. I need to work to get a car. Uh, it's sunny out. I don't want to lose my summer. And here you are, a guy who's not getting playing time, and it's not even a thought in your head. So yeah. How did you go from a guy that didn't play much football? to a guy who wants to coach football. When did you decide to, to coach football? How did this thing even get into your head? I, I always, like I said, I was always playing some. I always had good experiences with sports. Uh, similar football was, I guess it was probably a little bit better as like a middle school baseball player than I was a high school football player. Really liked baseball. Thought about, you know, maybe coaching that. I, I liked playing games and interacting with people. That's why I studied phys ed. Um but then football, it was, like I said, I, I knew nothing about it. And I kind of hit me in practice one when I didn't know the difference between run or pass. So I remember I had MS paint drawings of every formation, Denver, Dallas, um, Detroit, you know, everything that we were learning. So that way, at least like, all right, if I stink at this, I got to at least have the answers. <laughs> like, I can't be wrong. I can, I can at least let you know what I'm doing wrong here. So I kind of just got into like studying it and then it became kind of cool uh the chess game aspect of it and in hindsight now like coaching isn't any of that stuff the scheming stuff it's all technique but at that point in my mind like oh look you become a coach that seems really cool you do all this we're gonna motion this guy to set up a one-on-one or we're gonna set up this blitz to get this guy free you have answers for all this stuff and it, it seemed like a moving chessboard and I was like strategy games and, and like I said playing so that was that was something that interested me and then when did you decide that okay this is not only going to be something I want to do like me I, it's not my career it's it's something else I do when did you decide I want this to be my job probably my senior year of college so did you major in phys ed before you made this decision or did you major in phys ed let me ask that question first yeah, so I majored in phys ed. Originally, I was going to be a history teacher, and I was planning on going back to St. Joe's and coaching football. I thought I wanted to do it originally my freshman year. Before I went to Cortland, I was at CSI for a year. I coached freshman ball under Coach Mattos his last year with Coach Cusick and a bunch of guys. Uh, it was an awesome staff. We we stunk, and we let those kids down. Um, you know, we didn't win enough games. Or I, I, I'm not saying we there. That's, that's on me, but... Um, you know, we, I had a lot of fun teaching the guys stuff. I still wasn't very technical. I remember coach Sally talking to me there once too. We were hitting the sled and kids are asking why you're hitting the sled. And just cause it's what we're doing. That's how we're working block destruction, not any wise behind it like that. So I tried out at Cortland, got cut and became a manager there really did anything other than coach, but was around it. Wasn't really sure. I was like, all right, at least this will make me a good high school coach. 
Um, then by the third year, I kind of fell in the routine of stuff, had some good relationships with the guys on staff and, and did the internship with the Jets and saw that. And I was like, you know, this kind of, I, I kind of do like this. Maybe this would be a little cooler than rolling the ball out for PE or, or teaching classes and then coaching as, as a hobby, maybe looking to doing this as a job. Student taught for Coach Munson at Tottenville, so got to experience what it would be like to be a high school coach and teacher. And at that point, confirmed that I thought, yeah, I want to try and chase college coaching. So how did you get linked up with Coach Munson? Was that through Coach Manos? That was through uh, my PE instructor through Cortland. They had total say in that. I originally wanted to – they were going to have me student teach at uh, Tottenville. I was trying to talk them into letting me coach at St. Joe's. And they said since it's a, a private school, it, it wouldn't count for the state. So I, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. I was – that summer I spent training camp with – who was it? Bobby April was the linebackers coach for the Jets that year. And I, I was stoked. I was going to coach linebackers at Tottenville, I thought, and, or St. Joe's, wherever I was. Like, I'm going to coach linebackers and I'm, I'm learning from the Jets. Well, got to Tottenville that first day. Finally met Coach Munson for the first time since PSA, uh, PAL camps. And uh, they said, you know, we got, we, got, we got two JV linebacker coaches. We don't have a JV receivers coach. And our QB coach is the head guy who kind of floats around. You want to take them? I was like, sure. Ended up learning a bunch there. Some stuff I honestly wouldn't have learned at St. Joe's. No offense to you guys at St. Joe's, but just didn't have receivers. Definitely improved in the past game. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can coach a wing who might go out for a pass every now and again. But, yeah, that, that, that aspect of the game really wasn't in what they were doing. So how yeah. did you get the internship with the Jets? Um, so they were doing training camp in that time. They were doing them while Rex was the head guy at SUNY Cortland. And since they did it at Cortland, they kind of asked the local people who knew about campus and everything involved with that, um, you know, who would be some good fits for interns. And it kind of turned into a thing. Um, and I think it was 2008 was the first year they had a guy from Cortland on staff and then he did a good job. So they hired another Cortland guy the next year and he did a good job. So it ended up becoming a, like a rotating wheel of Cortland guys putting a Cortland guy in there, usually your senior year um, as the intern. So it turned out to be, it was pretty cool. It was a really, really cool experience. Were you a Jets fan growing up? Uh, diehard. Wow. So <laughs> was this like a dream come true? Yeah. It, it was awesome to be around, like, especially that was after, but it was still close enough to those Jets play or playoff runs with Rex and all that, you know, played. You knew how the stack was back in the late 2000s, I guess, um, 20, before the 2010s at St. Joe's. We, we were going to blitz our face off and run the ball. That's what we did. So to be around Rex's defense where – that's what they did, you know. It it was just kind of cool to see it up close and, and and the daily operation of it. And what was your role with the Jets as an intern? So I was an equipment intern the first year. I during practice I ran the clock and hit the horn in between changes of periods, and then the second half of it they let me work with the tight ends. So basically, shagging footballs for one on ones. Uh, there were some points where they they might do like a, a gauntlet drill. So, you know, try and knock the ball out, stuff like that. 
the second year I got to help the linebackers out all the time. So I'd be like the scout running back or something like that or shag balls for them too or, you know, hold the bag. Um, but aside from that, when we weren't at practice, folding laundry, um, cleaning helmets, cleaning shoulder pads, uh, cleaning the locker room, really anything related to equipment. If a guy needs a new pair of socks, run and grab it. If a kid, if a, a guy's needs air out of his helmet, if he needs a new mouthpiece, really anything the full-time guys ask related to guys' equipment. Now, do you think that it's more tiring to be a coach or a player during football camp? During the practice itself, I'd say a player. The rest of camp, coach, because you're in there usually an hour before the team meeting doing a staff meeting. And usually you're not finished with film until those, those guys have gone home and, and been asleep. So, I mean, you're looking at camps 16 to 18 hours for the day. I know my buddy at, at Bama at one point while they were camping last year was talking about 20 plus hour days. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I, I used to love being in camp and watching my coaches break down. I, I would actually feed off of it. Like, okay, man, you're trying to break me down. I'm watching you get tired and you're going down before me. I didn't know what they were doing until I first started helping them out my, my last year of college because I was like, what are these guys doing? Why are they getting so tired? But my coach told me it's worse to be a coach than to be a player. But you're all right. While you're on the field, I'm not getting my head smacked in. I don't have, you know, 100,000 pounds of equipment on me. But yeah, they get breaks. They get mandatory rest time. As a coach, you don't. There is no rest time. Yeah, and it, and practice is made easier, right? There's no no more two a days, so yeah, camp camp's different. <laughs> so let's go back to your uh, history major. You decide that you want to be a college coach. What does your family say? They say, "Wow, this is this is the greatest idea I've ever heard." <laughs> Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I I remember talking to Coach P about it too. He I went to St. Joe's, told him right before I graduated, I was like, "I won't." want to do this and I remember he brought you up he's like you know coach Mahoney turned it down you're you're not going to make a lot of money and your social life is going to probably be a little different than a lot of your friends you sure you really really want to do this but they they were supportive you know Uh, hey if this is what you want to do go ahead and do it um it was still a little bit of kind of a dream too so it was like one of those things like hey you know chase this but make sure you get your teaching cert hey make sure you you have a backup plan because not everybody I got lucky. You know, not everybody gets as lucky. And how did your college coaching career start? Like, where was the first college you coached at? I coached at uh, the College of Brockport, just west of Rochester on Lake Ontario, kind of in between Buffalo and Rochester. Nice and warm, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it barely snowed. <laughs> um, I graduated technically in December. I... Um, had sent some stuff out to NFL teams for either equipment internships or any college I could see on the football scoop, um, you know, about jobs, you know, they had an opening and originally like the first month it was like, yeah, well, I want to go be a D one GA. And then like after a couple of weeks, like, Oh wow, they don't post those. I should, I should apply for re- more realistic stuff, I guess. Then, Kept applying for just about everything. I think I have a list somewhere. It was upwards of like 60 jobs between January and June. I ended up sending in a resume to, to Brockport. Had a guy leave late, like in July. 
uh, I was actually in the middle of, we were prepping for camp at St. Joe's. I had just taken a job with coach Corona. I was waiting tables and going to coach high school football at St. Joe's that upcoming spring sent stuff into Brockport. Their OC was the O-line guy when I was at Brockport or when I was at Cortland, um, coach Potter, awesome guy. Uh, I shot him a text like, Hey, I applied for this job and said, all right, well, he talked me through it. You know, is this something you're sure you're interested in? You're cool with moving. Yeah. yeah we finished talking. He's like, all right. Um, our head guy's probably gonna give you a call tomorrow. And then he called me and said, Hey, we start camp in a week or in two weeks. How fast can you get up here? You know, or ask me what I knew about Brockport first. I talked about it. They had some really big tackles and ended up driving up like a week later and tried to stay a day ahead, a day ahead of the kids on the install. Now, did, did you have to – I'm just trying to go through like the progression of, of Brockport because in my mind they've, they've always been a really good defensive program. Did you have to brush up on their schemes or even just watch some stuff on them on the internet if that was even a thing back then so that you sounded like you knew what you were talking about when you got that first interview with the head coach? So the interview was all on phone. Um, he really said, just tell me what you know about the school. And I knew some stuff because we played them at Cortland. We played them in the first two years. We beat them once at their place, then uh, in Cortland. And then the third year, uh, Coach Mangoni, the current head guy, who's an awesome coach, uh, really appreciate everything he's done for me. He uh, – he took over as head coach and, and we lost to them. And it was always like a school that we didn't expect to lose to, honestly. And it's like, wow, you know, they score a ton of points and the defense is stopping people. Now this, this could be Brockport might be doing something special. So it was actually, I was excited when they called. So I knew some stuff from that. And then from them being in league, um, I, I kind of learned a lot more when I got there, the guys I ended up working with in the building, uh, I ended up living with, it was an apartment of four of us young coaches uh, was part of the salary. So we, we had an apartment just off campus and they all played there and went there. So they kind of would fill me in on like, Hey, this is how this works. This is how this works. These are the majors kids are going to be looking at. Um, defensively scheme wise, they had just changed um, from a stack to a four, two, five kind of going from a mixture of coverages to a base cover one that year. So I was actually learning it as the other defensive GA, young coach, whatever title you want to go with it, um, as he was learning it. So it, it was pretty good. I, I came in at a right time, I guess. I was going to ask you, was it a, a detriment to you to having not played college football? Did that hurt you in being, say, recruited as a coach or being a college coach when you first started? Um, I think so. So some people would say yes, some people would say no. Like it really varies everything with coaching or I'm sure other jobs will like it too. But like you could talk to one head coach and be like, well, he didn't play. What does he know? And then you might talk to other people like, who cares if he didn't play? It doesn't mean anything, you know? So I, I at the time I did think it hurt me. And the other point, like I learned how to do breaks. I learned how to do a lot of stuff that, I think prepared me for that first job, that first year to not make some stupid mistakes that I, I probably made as a student manager at Cortland. I was able to make them early rather than as an employee. So I, I think it actually ended up helping me that I didn't play in college.
I was going to say on the, on the flip side, you had a head start of coaching before you even got out the door of Cortland. Now, what you said you got to <laughs> learn how to do breaks. What's a break? Breakdown film? Yeah, so ODK, down distance, these are the formations. Okay, this is split zone. This is lead zone. They're running the counter OY play, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and even, like, I remember at Cortland learning stuff. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head verbiage-wise, but I remember trying to learn their stuff with somebody gave me a playbook, and I remember breaking it down into Coach Clark's terms, like, all right, double twins, their doubles formation is Detroit. This is – scrape three this is just to kind of put it in in verbiage i understood so it made sense to me now when at this time did huddle exist or how are you breaking down film are you legitimately breaking down vhs tapes at this point or is, is, is it <laughs> no thank god it was digital um in 2011 my first year at Cortland, huddle i think was newer to high schools we didn't use it until 2012 at Cortland. at brockport we used it the entire time and I had experience from Tottenville and Cortland in using it so it actually it, it was to my benefit there I know coach Manos called coach Munson when when I got placed there and said you know Kev can handle all your breaks he knows how to do all the stuff on the, with the computers he'll be great for that so that it was kind of I was able to learn that stuff ahead of time and it, it, it was good to learn you know it, it helped me out in getting jobs I'm thinking through, this is not completely related, but it's kind of related. I'm thinking through the, the Bill Belichick mantra of penning, where you're literally writing every single play down with a pen. Alignment, who's, who's, who's aligned where, how they're aligned, say you're even if an offensive guard is slightly over to the left, all 22 guys, you're, you're literally writing down what they're doing. From what I gather and what I've heard is the harder it is to collect this information, the more you retain it. So as – as this thing's evolved, as Huddle is now becoming easier and easier to use, do you feel like you're losing the pickup of what's going on? Like, did you gain more when you didn't know as much about the game and the technology was not as easy to use or is it just flowing naturally for you? I think it's one of those things, the more time you spend on it. Now, I was actually just looking at a guy. First off, the internet in itself, Huddle and all that stuff, the amount of stuff that you can use to learn from people, like – you can go on YouTube, it could be any play you want, and download the video and post it on Twitter and say, hey, I'm really interested in whatever scheme this is. And there'll be 20 coaches that come out and say, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so ran this and this and that, and they'll come out with playbooks. So the, the information's there to get with Huddle. And I haven't used Huddle now since 2016, so it, it's been a little bit. I know Huddle Assist, I think they do a lot of the breaks and stuff for you, similar to I think Pro Football Focus does. For some people, if you're going to sit there and you're not going to break it, you're probably not going to retain it. But you might have a good understanding of if you're a coordinator, somebody else broke it down. If it fits your verbiage, you, you've you seen it. All right, this looks like counter. This looks like counter. You have an idea of what to do from the experience. But initially learning everything, it, it really helps. Uh, I forget who it was. I think it was Alex Kirby, this guy on Twitter, the high school coach in Indiana talk through he would do like three columns at a time you know watch the clip once all right it's on this yard line type it in watch it again all right this is the hash it's on next play do that for the entire game then go back all right this is the formation and so he'll take a break from clips while he's doing it multiple times so he'll end up watching each clip about 10 times before he actually starts watching the film <laughs> 
it's not the most efficient way if you want to get the data in, but if you want to retain it, it's it's best, I think. That's at least how I, I've broken things the best is to do different columns in different parts. Like, all right, here's all the data. Here's all the football stuff. And now I can sit through and watch it and have a pretty good idea as I'm watching it. I don't need to watch it more than three or four times. You said you're not using Huddle. What are you using? So we use DV Sport at Toledo. We used Exos. They're really similar. I mean, I think Exos technically owns Huddle. Um, it's the same concept as far as, you know, individual clips with data basically hooked up on Excel. The difference with DV Sport and Exos is it's stored on an, uh, a server in the building. So like right now for COVID-19, working from home since May or March, it hasn't been good for us watching film because you only have a certain amount of storage on your computer. So if it, I'm not in the building, I don't have access to all of our film, but we can store a lot more film than 200 hours if I'm in the building. Huddle everything stored online. So you have access to everything, but if you don't have the internet, you have access to nothing. So how do you guys, what is your forum for exchanging film? I'm thinking high school football, New York City Catholic High School League. We had to use Huddle. What do you guys do? At Brockport, we used Huddle, and we exchanged through that. What we have is uh, it's this program called Dragonfly. It actually just kind of went the waveside. Uh, the bigger schools in the FBS and FCS um, have kind of decided that uh, Exos and DV Sport offered a, a different way to exchange film with each other, and, and they, it seems a little more efficient for them, so they're, they're doing that instead. But it's essentially the same thing. It's just a different app. It takes the files and basically like a, it's a football drop box. If I put the files in, you put your files in, they exchange them. So we both have to put something in to get something. So I'm going to tell you how old I am, that when I played at Columbia, I remember my outside linebacker coach, Coach Shire, who's now the special teams coach at Rutgers. He had a, a sheet on his wall that talked about when he was going to the airport to exchange film, <laughs> tape, VHS tape with another coach. And I was, I was amazed by like, okay, we're playing Brown this week, so he's going that week. We're playing Yale this week, so he's going that week. And then they always cross-referenced it with the team they were playing against. So, wow, life has gotten a little bit better in terms of having a drive to Newark Airport or LaGuardia to meet some other coach who's just happened to be passing through uh, your, your city before you play somebody else. It wasn't as far as going to airports. I did have to do that a couple times at Cortland. I, uh, <laughs> we played Ithaca College didn't use Huddle at the time. So they used DV Sport. They needed the actual copies of the film like they needed the stuff off the memory card of the camera so i actually went with an external hard drive and exchanged it with it it's our current dfo was working at ithaca at the time so a, a guy i work with now at cornell we met at a gas station um actually not too far from where i'm living now which was the middle point of Cortland and ithaca and we exchanged these hard drives and we met up later in the week and got our hard drives back so at least at least you and I did not have to go through legitimately cutting up VHS tapes because I think that would have been absolute absolute torture. That yeah, that the stories I've heard from guys that have done it, it doesn't doesn't seem like a good time. Now again, Belichick says that's how he learned the game by cutting up literally cutting up hours and hours and hours of film. But I don't know, man. I guess that's why I'm not Bill Belichick. So you, before you mentioned something that that stuck with me, you said it's really not about scheme; it's about technique. So if you do believe that, what are your thoughts on all of this endless hours of trying to look at tendencies and what the other team's scheme is? 
I think it's important to put those things into, you know, what, what are they trying to do? Cause counter might be different than power, but in the grand scheme of things, it's you're good. If you're the edge player, you're going to take it on a kick out. Am I spilling it or am I boxing it? You know, there's differences. You need to know the differences because there's subtle differences. The details are what's important. But on the other hand, you can clump those together. Like, all right, hey, this is what they're doing on gap schemes. doesn't matter if it's G lead. doesn't matter if counter power. In our cover one uh, package, you're always going to box it because we have our loaded box here. Or, hey, if they're detached, you have to spill this because the apex player is going to make the tackle. That's who you're forcing the ball to. It, it's really just understanding those two techniques. You can stop any gap scheme there as long as you know what's behind you. Um, same thing if I'm playing a, a deep third, or at least how I've taught it. If I have a solo receiver, how I'm playing a deep third is going to be different than if I have two receivers to my side. So it's just those little things and the tendencies involved with them. Like if I, if I have a solo guy, it's like, all right, basically I'm man on anything unless it goes under now. So it's more like cover one, but it, it's and it, getting all of those things, all the, everything going on with football. Cause everybody dresses everything up. Really you're, you're doing probably four, three to four things in the run game, maybe six to 10 things in the past game and the rest of it is kind of window dressing to kind of dress it up. So it's how can you compartmentalize those into fitting what you do technically? So I remember you talked about Rex Ryan. I'm watching hard knocks and he said something that really, it was very paramount in the way that I started to change the way I coach football. He said, football is a simple game and coaches overcomplicate. What do you think about that statement? There's, there's no question. And even, even for um, coaches, I think it overcomplicates stuff. I remember sitting here my first year at Cornell, I was interning in defense. So I, I did all of, the film was my thing. Anytime, anytime we got opponent film, I was breaking down four games. So similar to you were talking about, you like to see your coaches break. Uh, you can usually tell who's breaking down the film because they're in the office constantly and they're drinking a lot of coffee and they, they, you know, have some dull eyes. So I remember we were playing, I think Princeton and they did like a wham block or something. That was a total one-off. I, I broke down like 400 clips and it was like, well, why did they do this? You know, this doesn't make sense. Is there something off this? And it's like, I think they were up by 50 and our D line guys, because they want you to do this, you know, I, they're, Everything's uh, trying to look. I have no clue where I'm going with this. <laughs> well, <laughs> are, are, they, are they doing it where, like, they want you to see this or they want you to think about this? They might not ever run it against you, but now now you've watched it once and now you got to practice it. Yeah, and I mean, that's what even, like, uh, what was it? Jeff Schwartz, his former Giants O-lineman, just tweeted out uh, about, I think, the – Kansas City Chiefs ran a hook and ladder where they lateraled it back to Pat Mahomes yesterday in a fan practice. They did that because it's fun. But there is somewhere, someone in the NFL right now is like, well, we need to look back at all of this film that Andy Reid has done or look back at his Texas tape, Texas Tech tape to see if they've ever run a hook and ladder like this. And we need something ready in case they run a hook and ladder to the queue because football coaches are overly prepared to 
a fault at times. And I'm just thinking, because you, you had connected me with Coach Fox, who I, I think he's still at Brockport, right? And and I, yes. I talked to him, and I just love the way he broke it down. He's like, look, there's only so many things an offensive can, tackle can do. He's going to block down, or he's going to block at you. Let's not mo- make it more complicated than that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. simple. All right, maybe he's going to pass block. He's going to block. He's going to try and push you out of the hole, or he's going to block down and leave you unblocked for somebody to kick you out. All right, why the hell am I, why am I overcomplicating this thing? I'm the simplicity guy, and this guy's making it even simpler. And he he was he was really good at that. I know his first year there, I was working with our down safeties, and like you're saying, it was Fox. What, what drill do you like the best? Here, do this triangle. It's going to be a pass set, okay? Then you get to your flat, okay? If if it's run at you, you're the fourth player. Run away, or he's going to go zone away from you. If he's zone away from you, then you're full. You're the full player. You know, it, three things can happen. You know, it's really you got to play your individual game and just keep it like you're saying as simple as possible. And back to your comment on these awful human beings called offensive coaches. Uh, we, <laughs> Coach Roman and I, and Coach Moresco, guys that you know from C, we went to a, a clinic and we sat in on this crazy offensive coaches segment. And Coach Roman got so disgusted, he got up and walked out and said, I'm not coaching football anymore. Because what the guy was basically saying is, I'm doing this to ruin a defensive coordinator's life. I want to ruin his Sunday. I want to ruin his Monday. I want him thinking about this all week, and I want him to not spend time with his family. I want him to not be able to sleep because we're going to come out in this wacky set that he's never seen before, and I might just run it once a game. Like you said, that guy's running wham, you know, whether up by 50. He's doing the same thing. And I was like, ah, I think the only answer is that we should all be coaching offense and not mess around with this defensive stuff, even though I'm a defensive guy. It, it's fun as someone who's done both now being in offense, offensive meetings. And I, I probably say it more than I should, but we'll sit there and be like, Oh, well, what do you guys like against here? It's like, you know, it would really mess with them if you line up in quads here and empty and then just motion back to three. <laughs> by two. So that, that would, they might burn a timeout. And I think they actually, we got Dartmouth to do it this year. Um, just little stuff like that. Uh, or, past concepts it, it's good from both sides i have heard offensive coaches um tell me in the past though you know it you it's harder over here you know like one d lineman can wreck an entire play you know it, it's just harder on offense so it, it's not always not all offensive guys think uh they got the easy end of the easy end of it well i want to see them deal with uh quads and then motioning uh at, to empty i'm thinking about my first year back at c it was the year that you had graduated it two years before that i own a prep 90 percent of the time was either in empty and motioning back to three and one or in three and one and motioning to empty you're, you're you know you think you got an empty check you got to check out of that and go to a trips check it was it was awful they basically dictated what you were going to do on defense yep because you know what you're going to get. If, if there's motion, it's going to happen fast. So you got to have simple answers. So if I got simple answers, all right, I know that they're going to poach that backside safety. Cool, I got one-on-one with my ex-receiver here in three-by-one because I, I just gave him motion fast. I'm going to run an RPO post every time. Or they didn't go with the motion, so now they got three over three. They need a linebacker to make a tackle one-on-one with a slot with bad leverage. That's free money. I'm going to take it every time. So talk, talk me through, the, you, talk, you hit on it a little bit, 
your your life as a co- say a coach as an intern. What is the life of a young college coach? Is it a glitz and glamour? Are you designing all the schemes? Are you drinking champagne while you're in the film room? What's it like? Um, it varies place to place. Um, at Brockport, I was able. Coach Fox was awesome to work with. Coach Young was pretty good to work with too. Was our first DC. Um, you know, now you're you're be quiet and learn. Especially like if you come in a week before camp, uh, you know you're you're just trying to stay ahead of the kids and make sure you have answers for them. And if you don't have the answers, trying to find an answer for them and, and just work on them technically. There are some sometimes that you're able to give some insight. Uh, unfortunately, the only ones that really stick out of my head from Brockport right now are. Uh, we ran sky coverage against Morrisville State. So I'm trying to think. I don't know if we ran sky. Maybe it was it Scrape? Where we had uh, our free safety, so our field safety, insert over three as the curl player with the overhang the Sam as, as the flat player. Kind of like some of the stuff that the, the Seahawks are doing. So they ran a bunch of Y-pop. They'd go out in like a, a tray open set and they would fake inside zone. It was either a bubble to the slot or they'd try and hit the tight end of the seam all time. So it's like, all right, perfect. We're going to rotate our safety down, smack this guy in the mouth. Um, and we're set. So with that, we were pulling people out of the box away from it. They started running power read away from that. As we're rotating, our safety's going into the deep half. We got a corner who's got a, a single receiver and we're not gapped out. It was really bad defense against that that run play and that was a bad adjustment or bad suggestion for a game plan that I made that was the first (laughs) one I made didn't feel great and then we did something against Hartwick my second year Uh, we were doing like a man match quarters uh, and they were hitting us on this corner pretty good to the slot and we had like our outside backer down safety on him and he he really wasn't it wasn't the best matchup, so we were trying to get the safety out there and put the backer in the box, so he was man on the tight end, same formation, and they ended up, I think they, they copped the free safety, and we didn't have help in the middle because of it. Uh, it. That one was on the fly. That at least wasn't a game plan. That was a sideline adjustment, but yeah, only only adjustments I could think of or game plans were bad, but I mean, it wasn't uh, you did your breakdowns. You exchanged film uh, at Brockport. I was taking usually one one class in season, two classes out of season. Um, at, as an intern here at Cornell, I was finishing up my internship for my master's at Toledo. So in that case, I was in – I needed 100 hours over like a, a four-month span. I think I had it in three weeks. So I was in the building constantly um, and either breaking down film, helping with recruiting, um, really anything I could do. And then uh, practice, setting up drills and stuff, because we technically were counted as off the field. So we couldn't coach guys up. We used this thing called go route. I could I could send scout cards in, but that was about it. So if you're a graduate assistant, when do you actually find time to go to school and do your homework and that stuff? Um, at Brockport, we had 
we took classes. It was usually later in the day. It was like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. So it'd be like an hour or two once a week. Those were easier. I only had to drop one class because I would have missed it for JV games. And the teacher just didn't see that as really kind of an excuse to miss class. Even though I, I technically wasn't a GA there, I, I was an employee. They just gave you a benefit of, of cheaper classes. So it, it was weird. But um, And then at, at Toledo, they paid for all my classes, which was good as a GA. The catch was if you graduated, you were unemployed because that was you were technically not an employee. You were a scholarship. So I took online classes. Some guys took normal classes, and you would be able to get out of the building to go to class. But since I took online classes, it would usually be whenever my day ended, I would go home, do my discussion posts or, or write whatever essays. So usually at night when you should be sleeping, uh, <laughs> when you're doing your, your work. So how did you get from Brockport to Toledo to Cornell? Were you actively looking for new work? Did your, did your like, quote-unquote contract end at one place and your time was up and you had to go somewhere else? What made you move? At Brockport, I had finished two years. Um, it was kind of one of those things of the kids were great, the coaches were great. It was awesome there. Um, it really just wasn't a long-term job. It, w- it was an entry-level type of thing, so you- – you could see if you really want to coach football. Um, I think I made it was forty five hundred dollars over ten months, and they gave you a free uh, a part four bedroom apartment. You got one bedroom in it, and then a couple bucks to recruit and some. Uh, they give you a rental car for recruiting. So it was one of those things. It wasn't really sustainable, and it was a way to get a master's. But at that point, I had kind of been there a little bit and was like all right well I know what's going to happen the next year you know it we're we're going to do well we're going to keep winning some games but it it wasn't really a situation where I didn't know if I'd get a full-time job out of it um just because there's limited spots in d3 schools you know they only have three full-time spots there so um they had helped me out a ton I had done some interviews uh some in the northeast I got offered a job out in Wisconsin uh after doing well on an interview uh, just didn't seem like a good fit. Got offered a job in Mass. Didn't seem like a good fit. Um, a buddy had offered me a volunteer spot at UCLA. I, I just couldn't afford it. <laughs> um, but it ended up Toledo had an intern or a GA spot off the field, breaking down film as a video intern or a video GA. So I, I would film practice. I would cut up practice. And the big thing now with all of social media is, and I'm sure you, you've seen it enough with your guys, is these edits that these kids get so they can tweet out that Toledo or Pitt or Cornell or, or Brockport is showing me love, and you basically just edit a kid's name on it, and there's a cool picture of maybe them walking out a tunnel, or you make them look like a cartoon, something like that. Playing around with Photoshop, it, it, our OC kind of taught me some stuff and I was able to learn some stuff at Brockport. I sent some stuff in cause they just posted it online. It's like, if I can get a free education out of this, screw it and go learn some good football. They ended up calling and it was like, Whoa. So went to Toledo, did that, learned a ton, kind of like you were talking about with the Belichick guys, uh, Belichick 
I mean, I think Mangini started as a, an equipment guy. A lot of those guys have all done stuff off the field. So that was always told to me as something you want to, if you can get a better job, if, even if it's off the field, you should take it because uh, it'll help you. And I just, I got, you got to have to explain, because I don't think people get it. You can be a coach, but you're not allowed on the practice field, right? They're only allowed to have so many coaches on the field during a college day. Yeah. So there's limited counts on coaches. So in division one FBS, there's 10 countable coaches and a head coach and the FCS. I think it's the same. I'm not a hundred percent. The rest of these teams are like, if you look at LSU's staff, I think they have 54 people that work for the football team. They have guys like analysts. They have guys, uh, director of football operations. They have a ton of people. There's an army of people. So there's 10 people that can coach a room. They can go on the road and recruit. The rest of the people are basically going to do data. They're going to help with stuff around the building. And not all of them are coaches. Like my job was a non-coaching job at Toledo. I cut up coaches film. I drew pictures for them to send recruits. I helped our DFO make sure there was food in the building. I made sure meeting rooms were all set. Any technical issues I was there to help with. And then if I had time, I could hang out with the coaches and watch film, sit in meetings, stuff like that. So it was a good experience to go and learn, but you're going to be a passive learner. You weren't going to learn through doing. You had, you had to do it on your own. And what are your parents saying at this point? Like, yeah, my, I got this job at Toledo, big time school, but uh, I'm not allowed on the field. Uh, are you sure that's what you want to do? <laughs> All right. But you're really, you're going to get a degree at this one, right? Um, so I go there for a year, was awesome. We won the MAC championship, learned a bunch. That was when, Lincoln Riley kind of just started running a bunch of counter. UCF was really good. So I was getting a bunch of this big-time college football film that I'd never seen before. So it was cool to sit around and watch. But I still wanted to coach. And it really wasn't going to work out in that timeline. I was going to graduate in a year and a half. So I could either keep taking classes and hope that they were going to have a GA spot for me or uh, at some point, I would, ha I would probably have to leave to go get another job. So when I finished my last class before my internship, a buddy of mine here who actually just left for the cards, he was the New York City recruiter at the time. I think you know him, Jordan Hogan. And he just left for where? Uh, the Arizona, Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals. All right. Um, so he, he w is a Brockport alum. He called me and said, hey, uh, how's everything going, blah, blah, blah. And we have, we have this intern job or, or open. I talked to a couple people. They said, you'd be like a slam dunk. Would, would you be interested? It, it's Cor Cornell's right next to Cortland, uh, Toledo. It was cool living in Ohio, a bunch of cool people out there. This was a little closer to home to see some family every once in a while. So it seemed like a good move. And this way, if I graduated and I didn't get a job after this, I was set. All right. I, I did the GA thing. I'm going to do one more year of learning football somewhere else from some other people. I can go back home and teach if I have to. Um, and then did the internship, ended up being here as a job opened and, and was able to slide into a full-time job. And what is it like coaching an, an Ivy League football player? Are they, are they able to absorb a lot more of the X's and O's? Or is their head so wrapped around their uh, academic work that they don't even have the capacity to pick up complex schemes? Uh, it's the same as, as everywhere else in the sense that every kid is different. 
you know, there are guys at Toledo that were bad in the classroom that were good in the field. There are kids that were good in the classroom, good in the field. Um, everybody kind of learns differently. I remember not totally football related, but I had to take a adapted PE course in college for, for teaching people with uh, different needs um, how to teach them. And the, fir- the quote on the board the first day of class was, all good physical education is adapted physical education. So everybody learns differently. You know, like you're talking about with the, the Belichick guys, they, they pad out plays. That's how you understand the fits. I remember, I think it was someone explained to me at, at Cortland, they were running this stack and it was like, well, it's this odd stack defense. It's just an over post snap. We, we just moved to an over. It's, it's nothing crazy. And that was like, it clicked in my head. It's like, whoa, post snap that everybody learns differently, whether it's a verbal cue like me with the post snap. Do you need to physically do it kinesthetically? Um, so our kids are no different. Like I have guys, that's been a big thing with our Zoom stuff here is like, uh, I think NC State did a study or they have a survey and it basically tells you how you learn. Like I, I know from my experience, I'm a visual learner. I draw stuff out. If you look at, I have football notebooks and school notebooks. I've drawn out a million things. That goes back to even at St. Joe's, me learning the formations and blitzes because I drew them up in paint. So that way I saw them. Some people need to hear it. Some people need to kinesthetically move it, but everybody's different. Hold up. We got to take a pause here for a second. So when you said you were looking at formations in paint, I thought that uh, Coach Clark had handed it to you or delivered it to you. You're saying you made them on your own. Yeah. This was still – I was playing for Coach Gags at this point. I was down in JV. So I, I'm going to – this is one of the questions I wanted to ask of you because – or to you. What do you think your greatest strength is as a coach? Now, to me, when I sit and talk with you, I am amazed by the stuff you remember. You remembered stuff from my defensive scheme at C, and it was before you even played football. How do you retain all this information in your head? I'll be honest, I have no clue how to retain all that stuff. Um, it's always just kind of, if stuff has interested me, it's always kind of stuck. I've always been good at history for that reason. Like, I, I could, I remember at, at St. Joe's or even before that, or even with some college history courses, like, all right, this is really interesting. I read it a couple times. Like, all right, that's, it, it's kind of memorized. So football's interested me. So a lot of that stuff kind of stuck. I guess goes back to that same thing. Like, all right, I better know this. If I'm if I'm not good at it, I better at least know it. So that, that stuff is just kind of always stuck. So this takes me um, into a nice segue. How how did your experience as a player? You said I wasn't good enough to know this. I better remember it. How did your experience as a player impact the way you coach? It's helped me in the sense of. I, I knew I had to slow things down and do things different ways back to that adapted education aspect of it. I have to do things different ways, slow it down, change up the speed because kinesthetically I'm, I'm not a very talented person uh, athletically. I mean, you, you had me in athletic uh, advanced training. I, I didn't know how to make a cut until my sophomore year of college. I didn't know how to plan off the inside of my foot. So, I mean, it, it takes time to develop these things. So I, it kind of helped me interact with guys who might struggle picking up some stuff. Um, and so it's, if you can teach a guy who stinks something, 
how to do it, you can always improve somebody who's better at it. So those details of, all right, if I'm a fold player here, my first step, uh, I'm not sure. I think you did it. It might have been Coach Porch was two-step reads after read step was, all right, I'm the fourth player on the backside. Take my read step. All right, now fold inside. Like, if I need to be detailed on those, I, I can explain it a lot better to some guys. You know what I mean? Do you find yourself ever pulling for the underdog more than you uh, are pulling for the guy who's just genetically gifted, or are you a equal opportunity coach? I'm pulling. I'm pulling for all the guys as, <laughs> as a coach. Um, I think I've actively, and I, I got to work on it. Um, I, I really think I probably am a little too hard on the underdog type guys, honestly, just because you know. I don't want to be the, well, he stunk, so he likes his kid because he sees himself in him. Like, uh, so I, I've definitely liked working, or I've been a, a little harder on those guys and harder expectations, but I, I get way more juiced up a little bit. I'm not going to lie at times when those guys do some stuff. And you know how that goes. Like, um, I'm not going to – I won't say his name. There's a coach, a guy I coached my first year when I was at C. And I remember we had a meeting as a staff. The kid joined late like I did. And he, we, we ran power at him his first day there in full pads. And he ran away from the kickout. He turned and ran. And it's like, we had a meeting. Like, All right, we need to figure this out because this kid is a liability. Like, n- not on the field. Like, we, we need to make sure this kid's safe. And he's, he's still coaching ball. And he, he kind of developed into – uh, a similar type of guy. So I, I really, I've been pulling for this kid, this guy since he played. And then even after as a coach. So, I mean, I definitely, I'm drawn to those guys. Please tell me you're talking about Ryan Smith. Not, I I'm am. Just... wasn't going to blow him up there, but yes. He ran away guy. from the kickout block. <laughs> Didn't want to run on coach. <laughs> and he turns out to be one of the, of uh, the greatest players at us. Uh, so by the sea history. Yeah. Could could have been a great Cortland Dragon too. Didn't didn't want to commit. And him uh, and King, we put him at linebacker his senior year against Xavier, where they're running that single wing and they're running fifteen guys at you, and he dominated the game. So uh, Ryan Smith, yeah. well done. Nice transition. That, that was a fun highlight. <laughs> and I was just kidding when I was saying Ryan Smith. I can't believe it, it was actually him. So <laughs> it's not actually Ryan. It's Smith. not Ryan Smith. Oh, that would have been a great story. <laughs> Ryan Smith. I feel bad I even thought that you would run away from a kickout block. So let me ask you this. How did your experience as a high school coach impact the way you coach now as a college coach? Did you pick up stuff in high school that you're still using now? Oh, yeah. Um, Shoot. I still talk about things, and or at least I have stuff in my manuals. I've changed stuff to match what our OC says here. Um, But when I think about things, I still think of things in – AAT coach Corona at C um, after coach Manos or coach Clark left and he took over and he was training guys on how he wanted guys to coach with the program. He always talked about things from an alignment and assignment and technique standpoint. And that kind of made sense. It's kind of cut, uh, you know, black and white. There's no gray there. It's like, all right, here's my alignment. This is where I stand. This what's my assignment. This is what I'm kicking him out. What's the technique I'm taking a J step. And I'm working on his inside shoulder, you know, whatever your terms are, but you can break most things down into it. So, I mean, that's helped. And then going back to 
first day ever coaching. I got freshman DBs at St. Joe's and, and we go get the lead sled because I used to like hitting the lead sled as, as a, a senior linebacker at C. And it was, well, all right, hey, guys, we're going to hit the lead sled. You want to make sure your el- elbows are in, you know, drive it up, run your feet, and you want to make sure you get underneath it. Well, then I'm just yelling at the kids, that ain't how you do it. That ain't how you do it. And Coach Sal comes over and, Mac, what are you doing? Are you explaining to these kids why they're doing this? What's the why here? Like, is this going to make them better DBs? Why are you hitting a lead sled on day one? It's like, yeah, it's – so that that kind of stuck with me, the why of stuff. So I've learned – I mean, there are college coaches, I think, that are less – know less about coaching or, or working with some guys than, than some high school guys. And that's, that's not a, a knock on those college coaches either. You know, I think there's some really good – stuff you can learn in these from anyone. And I, I've always heard Coach Hench say that about the great coaches is they don't care what the source, source is. They're going to learn from anybody. It could be a peewee coach. It could be a guy in the NFL. If I can learn something, let me figure out what I can learn from this person regardless of what level they're at. And I think I even heard uh, Mike Leach say, he said, it doesn't matter what level of coaching you're at. Th- that doesn't equate to how good of a coach you are. You're just there. So maybe you're a top 25 school coach or you're a, a D3 coach. You could be awesome in either place, or you could suck at either place. And that's, I mean, I, I can keep going on with the list, but, I mean, Coach Hench, I don't think enough people realize how awesome it was to do the double wing at St. Joe's because that, I mean, if from a run game standpoint, you're you're never going to get a better clinic on what run game is than than that offense. And then I, I've obviously I've learned a ton from you, Coach. You helped you helped me a ton. I remember I used to go watch your indies even after some advanced training and and then going to work and then going watching you at St. Joe's. Like I remember you had the linebackers bring their own water bottles. It's like all right, that's that's a nice nice one right there. They just saved money. In, they just saved time in transition. Okay, he's not using bags. All right, this is efficient. He just bought himself three or four minutes of indie right there. That's another drill. He's got an extra. If it's a 10-week season, you're doing three a week. That's 30 extra drills a, a year. How many reps? I mean, and that's me being overly thinking about efficiency. You might need to slow it down because you have amount of guys, but it's same thing from the advanced training stuff. What's the efficiency of this? Is the why there? All of that. There's there's just so much you can learn from anybody, and that's and some other cases you can learn the bad too, which, all right, I'm not going to do that, but there's you can learn from anybody. I, I love that you're talking about the why. Now, not like you said, every kid's different, but there are a lot of kids that want to know why. I, I know when I played, there was no why. It was run through that wall, and you're going to do it because I said so. But I, to me, the modern athlete, a lot, a lot more of them want to know why. Like, why, why are we taking this jab step this way? You know, why am I not immediately just rushing up the field? Well, if it's if it's not a pass and you're rushing up the field, you're going to get kicked out, or you're going to create a vertical seam. You had to explain that why. From your perspective, and you've been now been playing, you've been coaching. Has is the modern athlete much different than the athlete from say when you were in high school? Uh, I hope not, because I tell every recruit I'm not that much, that old. I'm not like, different than <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know if Twitter was out when I was in high school. I, I know it wasn't used in recruiting like this. Um, shoot, if you could post huddle highlights, uh, I think the most you see some of these kids that are, are becoming friends online with kids they play against. 
um, just because of the, how connected they are with that. Or I, I got kids I'm recruiting in Jersey that are interacting with kids I'm recruiting in Washington State. So I think everyone's connected a lot more. It's a way easier to share film. Everybody knows the highlights of every kid. Um, I know I remember, I think it was Ryan Smith's senior year, I tweeted at him, good luck or something. I was a sophomore in college, and P. Diddy's son and a bunch of girls from that area ended up talking smack at me because I, I was hyping up Ryan Smith. So I, that whole thing changed fast. I think I just missed it. But there's definitely a connection aspect that, that wasn't there. You played with your boys. Like, all right, you know what I mean? You were playing with the guys in your neighborhood. You might know of somebody at Farrell, but you didn't know of anybody at uh, Maslin in Ohio and what they were doing. Yeah. And look, I don't even, I remember my high school baseball coach being mad if we spoke to anyone, Coach Rigotti, still at St. Joseph by the Sea right now. He said, don't, don't throw, don't, sorry, don't throw. He said that he would throw rocks at the second baseman when he was like, say, on first base. So he would throw rocks. Or if he was playing center field, he'd throw rocks at, at a guy on second base. He was mad we even spoke to a guy. So, yeah, now you're saying that you're friends with a kid or you're, you're you know, maybe you're socially connected to him through Instagram or Twitter. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's really different. That's foreign to me. Yeah. So what makes you, 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 you make yourself so available. I've never once tried to get in contact with you for help. And you've helped me a lot in my, in my short tenure as a head coach. You were a tremendous asset to me. How do you make, why do you make yourself so available to other coaches to help educate them? Everybody I've been around, yourself included, like I said, I used to go sit and watch your indies, you know what I mean? Everybody's, like I said, is available. If you can, like I said earlier, you could tweet out a link to a video and it'd be, hey, this looks like wham, what is this? And you might get seven different answers. Nine people might not know what they're talking about but you'll get some answers. A lot of coaches will give you some advice on some stuff. So that's, that's kind of what I still think the best thing about football is. And is the relationships with the people you build over time with it? You know, it's, it's a great connecting factor. Everybody's got a shared experience in, in those, in between those sidelines, you know what I mean? And now do those relationships are those the things that help forge your potential next career opportunity? You said when you were going to Brockport, the guy that connected you in there was the OC from Cortland. Is that how you help get to the next place if you're going to go to a next place? Yeah, to a point. It's not really thought out like, okay, this guy's going to go here, so I want to be make sure I'm friends with him. It's just naturally as you work in a place or if you're around a bunch of people uh, – you know, you build a relationship and it, it kind of just works out sometimes. And they say, you know, hey, uh, any interest in this? You know, this seems like it'd be a good fit because you stay in touch with them. Like, like Coach Fox, you know, I've stayed in touch with him and similar type of thing. You know, we'll talk. Hey, what are you guys looking at on this in film? What are you guys looking at with this? What's your big study? So, I mean, you just kind of pick each other's brains and it, 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 it just kind of happens naturally, I guess. So I, I got to one of the things that you helped me out with a lot was the ins and outs of college recruiting. So just quick question for you. If, if you can give a piece of advice to a high school player trying to get recruited to big time college football, maybe a top 25 school, because that's everybody's dream. What, what is your piece of advice to this student athlete? Be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that in an offensive way. Um, just there's a lot of guys 
that, and and that's not even just for recruits, even guys GA in, right? I'm I'm a D1 guy. I, I can coach D1 ball. There's no question, you know? Same thing. I know I, I just saw some stuff on Twitter with the big one is Lyman right now. Um, you don't need to be – somebody was saying you don't need to be six foot one, six foot five. doesn't matter to be a Division one Lyman. It, it kind of does, you know? Like big guys beat up little guys. That's why there's weight classes in boxing. Am I saying that you have no shot? No, absolutely not. But if you think you should be going to Notre Dame and – you know, I showed up in my Brockport gear and somebody else, a couple other Northeast D3 schools show up. You know, Southern Cal ain't walking through the door after us, especially senior year. Um, they might, they just, they ain't there for you. You know, it, everybody thinks that the timelines are different. Like you'll see mm, September 1 here, you're going to start seeing the next class, the bigger schools are going to start reaching out to kids. So you'll have a pretty good idea of who's talking to you. If it's all FCS schools, well, you're probably an FCS player. If it's FBS schools, you're an FBS guy, you know. It, it just – it takes time there. And then I know some guys have gone JUCO and stuff to do that, and I'm, I've never been involved with a JUCO program, so I'm not sure. Just understand that that could help you. It could just be delaying the inevitable. If you're talking to Brockport State, that Brockport State might be coming coming right back. You know what I mean? And coach, how how do these big schools find you? Do you go to a a showcase, a camp? Do you send them film? Like how how are they actually finding these studs? At Toledo, we 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 got information from uh, you know two four seven, a bunch of different local recruiting services. Um, these like people in your area will kind of talk to you um, like say up here for our sake. Um, there's a kid in Chenango Forks, which is about within an hour from here. We had him on campus for a fall visit this past year. Well, state champion wrestler ends up, it looks like he's probably going to get um, a little bit higher offers, you know, but Somebody saw him on our campus and he got tagged in a recruiting list and that led to him getting other offers or he might've tweeted it. And a coach um, at Syracuse or something saw that he was here. You know, it, it could vary stuff like that. High school coaches can let you know, there's different ways you can get on people's radar, but once you're on someone's radar and they're actively recruiting you, you're going to pop up on other people's radars. Like we used to joke at Toledo, if we offered a kid the next day they were going to get Syracuse, Kentucky and Rutgers, they were, those, those three were coming. You were getting the three of those offers. And now they weren't all committable. Like Kentucky, Syracuse and Rutgers just knew they saw a Mac kid who might be a lower tier power five kid. So we'll offer him. If not, he's going to go to the Mac, you know, but if you pop up on someone's radar, you'll most likely end up on someone else's. And now you talked about like a place like 247, just for people that don't know. Uh, is this kid's parents? Are they paying 247 to show their highlight films? Like, how, how is 247? How are they learning about a high school athlete? 247, I don't understand where the money comes from. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, or no, they're subscription based. But like, um, they have writers, they have guys that 
they work. I'm the pit football analyst and I watch kids in the Whippeal and, you know, this kid's a a freshman. He killed it in peewees. They're local guys in your neighborhood and they kind of know the crops coming up with kids and all right, he's going to Aliquippa. He's going to end up getting this offer by the time he's able to get an offer when he can get contacts. So they'll, they'll start hyping kids up and it doesn't cost the kids a thing. You know what I mean? Uh, NCSA, I think cost kids some money. There are some services that cost money that might help you get on someone's radar. That doesn't mean you're going to be recruited by them. You know, I, I mean, we have a questionnaire service. Uh, most schools have a questionnaire service that'll get you the same thing as those recruiting lists. It just gets you in their database. Questionnaire service means I go to like uh, Cornell's football website and I fill in information about me. Yeah. You know, you type in, all right, I'm Kevin McDonough. I'd lie, right? I'd say I'm six foot one. Um, Add 10 pounds of good weight. uh, Shave, shave some time off my 40. And I put all this info there and it would end up on Cornell's server. But most importantly, would have my name, my phone number, my email and my huddle link. And then they're going to put on the film and they're like, all right, this guy's actually 5'9". He's not a 4'4 guy. It looks like he's running a 5'4". He's probably not for us. You know, he's probably he's probably good where he's at. So <laughs> um, they'll, they'll have access to a lot of the stuff you get from a lot of these services for free if, you, if you've looked into it on your own. Now, I had a, a, a couple of college coaches talked to me one of them was really outspoken about it he said listen as a high school football coach what you're telling me almost means nothing with respect to this kid's football play he said my job my livelihood putting food on my family's table depends on me finding the best football players what i need to know from you is does this kid show up to practice what is his demeanor during practice is he a yes coach no coach type of guy how easy does he pick up scheme don't try and sell me on how great of a football player this kid is because I have people all the time looking to find these great football players. I mean, how, to what degree do you agree with what this guy's saying? I think it still varies because based on relationships, like I, I just got off the phone with a recruit recently who the high school coach gave me glowing reviews on him. He wasn't in our server and ROC really likes him. You know what I mean? So that, that worked there. But I have a relationship with that guy. You know what I mean? Um, there are other kids that, you know, well, this kid's a stud. He can play for you guys, no question. I look at him, I was like, I don't know if you – I don't – there's no way this guy – like, what does he, this guy think we're playing? This this ain't – this kid definitely can't play here. So it, it varies person to person. The, but the nail on the head there, you know, I mean, you're around the person, the, the student athlete, way more than – then we can get around them, especially now with everything with COVID. I, I've met very few of my recruits. Most of the interactions I've had with them are phone calls, texts, DMs, or, or Zoom meetings. So it's hard to get a feel for a kid, especially in those situations. But normally, right, like a kid's not going to come in and say, you know, hey, I'm going to skip a bunch of classes and I really don't like practice. And the weight room, I'm kind of allergic to it. They're not going to say that on the visit. It's going to be yes, sir, no, sir. You know, they're they're trying to get into a college or they're trying to get a scholarship. They're they got to do what's best for them there. So they're going to be on their best behavior 
and then it might be too late before you realize a kid's nature might not fit the culture of your program. So the high school coach needs to be able to give you an honest assessment on this kid, you know, he's, he's, you, he'd be a good fit for you guys, or it might be like, you know, he's talented, but I'm not so sure he's what you're looking for. You know, there's, there's polite ways to say, you don't want to recruit a kid. And and there's a lot of guys, same thing with the honesty of it, of they might not tell you until after. And I feel like, at least from my perspective, you got to be honest as a high school coach, because you don't want to burn that bridge with that college for the future. You might be ruining that relationship with that that college or that coach forever. Yeah. That's a two way street though, too. You know, how many college coaches? "Yeah, Yeah. We love all your guys. We love all your guys. And then all of a sudden, well, we're not taking them, you know, so yep. I, for everybody involved, honesty is really the best approach with the kids, with the coaches, with the parents, everyone. So you, you talked about 40 times. You talked about athleticism. I want to take a, a real big backtrack to when you joined advanced training. What made you <laughs> what made you join advanced training? Um, at that point, I still was trying to play football at, at Cortland and similar mindset, right? Uh, I could be maybe work my way into kickoff my senior year if I get way faster, way stronger, and a little more athletic. But, you know, play scouts, this or that. And so everybody I knew who worked out for colleges that was playing and and doing what I thought was the right way to do it was training with you. So that seemed like the natural progression. And then – I was working out with Kenny King before that and he, he thought the same thing. So it, it was a slam dunk, you know, all right, you make sure you, I'm awake. I'll make sure you're awake and, and we're going to go work out with coach Mahoney. And I know you keep talking about how bad of an athlete you are, but I'm looking at some statistics right now. I mean, for a guy of your stature, a 330 pound deadlift is pretty damn good. You went from zero pull-ups to 14 pull-ups. You put 20 something pounds on your bench press. I mean, in the, in the, the short term that you were with me, you made some incredible gains. So I'm patting you on the back for some real good work. Appreciate it. I need to get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you touched upon it a little bit before, and maybe we don't need to go through it again, but you mentioned that stuff, some of the stuff you learned with us, you now put into coaching. Is there, you had mentioned to me over maybe this break that you were going to start working with some guys or at least talking about how they can train without equipment or giving them just some advice. Is that something you've been able to help them with too, since, since you're at school? A little bit. I actually did a clinic online on Twitter. I'll see if I can find it. We're, I appreciate it. I, I use some of your clips for the, the mobility stuff, all those mobility workouts, you know, glute bridges, um, everything kind of lower body for strengthening and flexibility. And our guys have sent it to them. It's tricky, especially remotely. We're volunteer in the off season always, but this was something the guys could do um, without equipment. I didn't really require them to send me videos of it, so I, I don't know how much they used it, but it was definitely a tool for the guys if they wanted it. Same thing, tried getting the competitions going. Could not. It really had to be player ownership on it. I, I put the idea in their head. They're talking about now doing it this fall because we don't have the season, but it's not, it hasn't taken off like I was hoping it would. 
Yeah, that, that's tough if you're not around each other and you haven't done it. If you've done it for years and now you're virtual, then you're just going to do it naturally. But it's kind of mm-hmm. like a fire. You just got to get that that first piece of kindling on there, get that little spark going, and then once that fire goes, it's going to burn itself. Yeah. So let's let's go back to your high school career. What team would you consider to be your biggest high school rivalry and why? That's a tough one. Probably Iona. I'm thinking back to your around your senior high school. Well, they were always really good, but they were really, really a pain at that point with all the screens that they ran. Just a nightmare. Bubble screens were the bane of my existence as somebody <laughs> who played the flat that didn't have move well in space or have good leverage or understanding of leverage. Wasn't an issue because I wasn't the one defending it, but uh, the, just the, I mean, they, they had won the, the league the year before. Um, Jeffrey Mack was a legit running back. I remember he was talking smack. That would be the only guy I could remember. I think Pete Davidson made a highlight video because we were undefeated going into the play or going until the Holy Cross game. He made a highlight just before Holy Cross and Jeff Mack commented on the YouTube video said, I'm, I'm playing this, this playoff game and I'm coming for y'all. And so that, that game was a barn burner. Didn't go our way. St. Ants obviously was always like one you had circled and it, it, it felt good to get it that year though. You know. Now, were you a junior on the team that beat them at St. Anthony's, or was that a couple of years ahead of you? That was that was my senior year. That was your senior year. Okay, awesome. So you that that then <laughs> is that the game that sticks the most in your head, or was it the the loss to Iona in the playoffs? Probably St. Anne's. That was a really that sticks out with most teams. Um, even afterwards, like. Counting college games, uh, that would probably be the, the game that sticks out the most. Then it would be Holy Cross that year because they had an NFL safety at quarterback. They had Devin Kajus was an NFL receiver, and their line was really good. There, I'll still stand by that. Holy Cross team was one of the most talented teams I've ever seen. And now, did Holy Cross? When did you guys play them during the regular season? We played them on Halloween. We were undefeated. I think we were one at the state at time. And, and you guys played, lost to them? We lost to them at St. Joe's. Devin Kajust, who was in the Browns hard knocks, he went to Stanford. He hurdled Kenny King standing straight up. Kenny's not the tallest guy in the world, but <laughs> he legit hurdled them, and they got a flag. They got flagged for it. It's against the rules. And it was it was insane. It was one he, of the- he's certainly not short. Uh, Kenny King is not like five two. He's no about five eleven, six foot. Uh, you, I think you're being generous, but yeah. <laughs> Kenny, I'm trying to give you a couple inches, man. Well, yeah, I mean, all those games kind of stick out, but Iona between them being good the year before, us getting them in season, and then then us getting them getting us in the uh, the postseason. So we talked about you, uh, when I say we, I mean me and Coach Fortunato, as you being the biggest success story in C, football. Who would you say it is? (sighs) 
don't know. I'll be honest. I'm not really – I'm a competitive person. I, I don't really know if that's – I think there's a lot of success stories that come out of C. I mean, I, I can't think of how many guys I, I went to school with that are firemen now and, like, have gotten medals. You know, I think Don Bibiasi and Mark Villa popping off the top of my head right there. Um, Coach Forge, right? I mean, serve, uh, serving right now with the NYPD. How many guys went in the army? I, I, there's a heck of a lot of guys ahead of me, <laughs> I would say. Um, but that's that's a good question. Uh, I'd really say uh, just about anybody that finished it, you know, I think was a C success. You know, everybody. There's no way you could come out of the St. Joe's, especially um, under Coach Mattos's years. Uh, and not say that hasn't affected you in the long term. I mean, I, I went Saturday morning. I woke up at 3.45 and drove to Huguenot uh, and drove with the Moores brothers out to Montauk to go shark diving. And me and Robbie Moores were talking for, I think, two hours in the dark, usually about the time you get up in camp, about all the experiences of, like, Hey, do you remember the, this Mano story? Do you remember this Mano story? So, I mean, it, there's a lot of success out of C. I, I don't know if you can really pinpoint one person. Or one. Can we rewind for a second? What are you doing with sharks? Uh, there's a spot in Montauk that uh, they host uh, cage shark dives. So they, they take you out on the water. They chum the water. They got a cage. They teach you how to breathe with this breathing apparatus, and you, you get in the cage and and if a shark comes by, they, they throw a fish on a line in front of the cage so you can see, see a shark swim in front of you. So you're a madman. Uh, there's, there's a cage. I'm not, I'm not totally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I seen Jaws, man. I watched that great white rip that cage apart. I made sure I didn't rewatch that right beforehand. <laughs> Some valuable personnel going down there, you and the Moores brothers. So uh, please don't do that ever again. I'm, I'm scared crap just listening to you talk about it. All right, so uh, some rapid-fire questions. We're at about an hour and 20 minutes so far, so a couple of rapid-fire rapid questions for you. What failure in your life, inside or outside, let's say a football, actually led to a huge success? My entire football career. <laughs> <laughs> well said, man. Well said. Okay, what is your number one pet peeve on a football field? Bad body language, bad interactions, guys not running, like, Come on, we're out of practice, and I know practice can drag at times, but we're playing football. Let's have fun. I mean, how many guys right now are sitting on their couch and would rather be on a football field? I know uh, talking to Rob Moore, as we were talking about in time, Coach Mano said he'd give up his pinky toe to, for, for one more one more practice or one more game, and we're pretty much in consensus about it that we do it. Yeah, who really needs a pinky toe? It's the big toe that matters. Exactly. That's where the balance and the ability to play comes from. <laughs> If you could put anything on a billboard on the Staten Island Expressway, what would it say? The PG version of the story of the two bulls. Okay. What is the craziest thing you ever saw in advanced training? Probably the aftermath of the sliders or any of the strongmans. Yeah. That's a great point. And we were talking about this yesterday, and I know these are rapid-fire questions, but I'm going to break in. 
about the 2011 and 2012 Tough Man, which you participated in both of them. Deep and deep. the two, <laughs> <laughs> you weren't the only one. We, we five guys tapped out. Now you didn't tap out. You just DQ'd because you didn't finish one of the drills in enough time. But you weren't ready to, to tap out. We had five people not finish that Tough Man, and man, that. You you went through what some guys are calling the golden age of tough men when I was a much worse coach than I am now, and I had people throwing up. So uh, I'll tip my hat that you survived through that. But that, that is a great call out as one of the craziest. We had a, in 2011. I don't know if you remember this. We had to move a few of the drills because people were throwing up so much. They were throwing up in the drill spots. We had to move the whole tough man over to a different location. I uh, what was it when quarantine started and I was looking for the advanced training stuff to send my guys. I found the YouTube links of the after the of of the tough man's and the after effects led in one of them, and my roommate watched in horror as it was panned across all of these people laying down on the ground, not able to move and puking. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a bad guy. Apologies <laughs> to all of you. That was me not being a good coach. All right, uh, last question. This is my selfish question to everyone. What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify my life? Or remove clutter. Try and stay organized while you do stuff. And this is something more of a reminder to me too. As I'm sitting here, I'm breaking down film or, or editing cutups I find online. I, you can't see my desktop right now, but there's probably like 20 or 30 icons, which is clean for it usually. I've covered the whole thing before. Keep moving stuff and organizing as you do it. Yeah, I, I think a great uh, productivity tip is also to not have too much stuff on your desktop because that that will, I when I see that on my desktop, it actually gives me a stomachache. I have to mm-hmm. continuously delete icons or links because it will drive me nuts. It's, I feel you on that one, <laughs> Coach. This has been awesome. Uh, I hope that that you got as as much out of this as I did. But I, we have a lot of people that are going to pick up a lot of tricks and techniques and tips from the way you're talking about football, the way you're talking about breaking down the game, the way you are just so humble from the experiences you've had and how it's impacting you as not only a coach, but as a man. So I just thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everything you've done for me outside of this phone call. You've been a real, real help to my coaching, I'll say coaching career. Appreciate you having me coach. Wouldn't be where I am without you and everybody, everybody else at St. Joe's and everybody's helped me along the way, you know, this, this was awesome. Really appreciate it. Sorry, I rambled so much. No, you didn't. And uh, have a great season. It, when you have the season, I hope it's happening in the spring. Hopefully you guys beat everybody except uh, Ty Columbia. Just Ty <laughs> Columbia. You too, Coach. Go Pirates and go Vikings. <laughs> All right. See you later, Coach. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Lark Media. Did you ever feel like you had a message that the whole world absolutely needed to hear? You take it, you package it, you bundle it, you send it out there, and then boom, no response. Well, if that's you, don't be disappointed. It might not be that your message is bad. It might be that you're not delivering it the right way. And this is where our friends over at Lark Media can help. These guys are masters of marketing. They've done things for advanced training where they've come in. They've taken documentaries of our work, and they not only captured what it looks like, but they captured what it feels like to be a part of what we do. They've also made motion graphics that we use before and after our YouTube videos. If you need help, please contact Steve at LarkMediaNYC.com. Again, that's Steve at Lark, L-A-R-K, MediaNYC.com. Tell them that Advanced Trading sent you, and they'll take 10% off.